0: What about wild hogs?
1: Oh, uh, what about it?
0: Just start right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, my dream intro. <laughs>
0: what?
1: The way I start every conversation. What about it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sir, sir,
0: just please order your donut. <laughs>
1: That's my gravestone's gonna say. But what about wild hogs? You know, like I forget. People forgot about it, and I want them to remember.
0: Uh, I at your grave, I'm gonna leave a PSP that is playing on a loop. Wild hogs. Wait a PSP? Yeah. Why PSP? That was the first thing I thought of. I just talked to somebody <laughs> about this. That's the first recently.
1: screen you thought of. Yeah. Is A PSP. Because
0: I was just talking to somebody about this recently. I, I had I owned one movie that I played on the PSP and watched on my PSP. What movie? Taldagan Knights.
1: That's funny. I mine was um sorry not PSP but uh was PSP the handheld by the way? Yeah. Okay. I that reminds me uh, for my birthday one year when I was a kid I got. A portable DVD player. And this is when, like, like it was expensive at the time. I remember, like, bragging to my friends, being like, I got a portable DVD player for my birthday. Whereas, like, basically now, if you got one for your birthday,
0: and you parents. told your friends,
1: they'd be like, your parents don't love you. They hate you, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I got the portable DVD player. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And it, my parents got me one movie alongside it. Um, And it's the only movie I associate with that. And it was Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Which I just rewatched
0: recently. You couldn't give me a hundred guesses. I wouldn't have guessed that.
1: I don't know. I'd never heard of it before. But I think, you know, I think my dad saw it in the store and was like, oh, this is a good movie. And I I loved it as a movie. Um, But I just like, it was the most random thing.
0: Um, My, My dad just told a good story to my family about a portable DVD player. He, when my sister was in high school, or middle school, might be middle school. She would go to like One Direction concerts mm-hmm. um, and they would pay. And how'd for, she get home? She goes the other direction.
1: Uh, that was my joke.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but she would go to the concert with her friends. My dad would drive her and then he would just sit in the car for the entire concert. So he would bring the portable DVD player <laughs> and watch movies in the car while he waiting for the concert to be over. So can you imagine just having like what makes you beautiful? Like, so loud in the background he's watching fucking braveheart on the dvd player <laughs> i'm not saying that's what he watched it probably was like he probably goodfellas was probably in the rotation
1: the way it's meant to be seen on a portable DVD exactly player yeah with um who did you say the jonas brothers one, in dra- the, what the direction. one direction in the background
0: i used to play i'm trying to think of like I, I feel like i wore out spider man 2 a lot the sam raimi one i wore out Pirates of the caribbean a lot on my portable dvd player it was a big thing for trips for us as well. And then the smartphones became about as big as the screen as a portable, of a portable DVD player. Yeah. You wouldn't need it anymore.
1: Actually, ge- genuinely looking at the, our iPhones right now, that might be bigger than the screen of my portable DVD player.
0: Um,
1: I, I I was big on TV shows on DVD at that point, too. Like That was when I was also just buying the Friends DVDs and stuff. I'm so. looking
0: at your, uh, your shelf again, and you know what would have been really good? world dvd player movie is ed is ed would be
1: answer, yeah. <laughs> i was that was in the back of my mind when i thought about weekend at bernie because it's just like the the most random movies to be gifted yeah um but i stand by it ed was a great gift <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think a gift may- that keeps on taking in some ways what if i'm not gonna remember this so i'm probably not gonna do this bit but if i do credit to myself in a few months what if every christmas i got you another copy of ed
1: Dude, I, I would save them all. It's the worth whole, it as a bit. I would th- save them all. The whole shelf is just Ed. Yeah, I would save them all.
0: If you guys don't remember what Ed is, um, by the way, welcome to the Simcha Chain Gang podcast. I'll let you into our conversation now, listeners. If you don't if you remember, don't what, remember Ed, what Ed is, I'm not interested in having you as a listener. I was going to say, you probably don't have a mental illness, first of all. And second <laughs> of all, uh, like, look it up. It, it, Matt LeBlanc Ed. and a monkey. Matt LeBlanc and a monkey in baseball. Yeah. The three most American things I can possibly yeah. think of.
1: And the greatest line in the history of film, I think it topped AFI's 100 movies, 100 lines list, which was, I am going to spank that monkey? That's a line that Matt LeBlanc
0: says. Yeah. Well, they don't say anything like that in Ragtime, which is the movie we're reviewing today. That, uh, this that, is Andrew J talking. That's
1: Milos Foreman rolled over in his grave now.
0: That's Nick Ricardo. making. We both
1: insulted dead directors. Is Milos dead?
0: Uh, yes, I think as of recently. It just happened. 2018. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I think you
1: know, like with that joke.
0: Just and like. also, I've been told, I, I asked a file a at my work, it's Miloš. 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 Miloš Forman. Forman. Form um, who's the director of Ragtime, which you're going to be reviewing mm-hmm. today, the 1981 um, drama set in the early 1900s and late 1800s. Um, it's a turn of the century movie, kind of chronicles a bunch of things happening at that time in the immediate New York City area, so... I hope you did your research and traveled to all the places that they referenced.
1: You know, I thought I would do more for this one, but I didn't.
0: Yeah. Um, So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, It completes the chain that started with Grace Kelly and our review of To Catch a Thief from Alfred Hitchcock. Last week, we used John Alderson, who plays a bigger role in this movie than he did in the last movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is the associate or aide to James Cagney's character, Commissioner Ryan Lander, Waldo, and James Cagney is the, the reason that we are reviewing this movie today. And after we're done with this review, we will take James Cagney and make a new chain with some lucky lady that we'll get to mm-hmm. later on. But before we talk about Ragtime, Nick, what have you been watching?
1: I, um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to highlight one of the more random watches that I've had, that I've done recently. And I'm pretty sure that what led me to watch this is I've been really diligently adding stuff whenever I think of a movie I haven't seen, adding it to my watch list on Letterboxd. And then oftentimes I'll look and be like, what's like one of the shortest ones? You can just go by length. What's like the shortest one that I haven't seen? I'll watch that now while I'm eating lunch yeah. or something. Um Little bit of a balance with that and how well it's reviewed, or, or whatever. There was a movie, I don't, it, it must have just been like a similar to whatever something else I was looking at, um, uh, called The Last American Virgin from the year 1982. And it, I, my guess is that this came up when I was looking at, um, some maybe American Graffiti or something coming of age based. It looks like could've, it's getting
0: a lot of comps to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fa- yeah, it
1: could have e- and could have even been. It's certainly in the same vein as like Fast Times, Porky's, things like that. Um And some of, there's something about eighties comedies like that that like I I do really like, and also I love coming of age. And I remember seeing this one and being like, this is probably going to be one that I don't enjoy, but I'm really curious what the ones that are not famous really famous are the ones that fly, have flown under the radar of legacy or whatever uh so i watched that and um i'm highlighting it because it's some i have some a really specific thought on it which is the end it, it is certainly like a sex comedy like any of those movies just like fast times like porkies or or i i, I you know i guess like if you want to put like super bad into that as a modern day one right it, it the movie carries that tone and then i'm gonna spoil it for you if that's okay sure the movie is like, you know, three kids trying to get with women. And then at the same time, this guy likes like the most beautiful girl in school, but his friend also likes or his friend sleeps with her basically or is trying to. And you think in the end it's going to wind up like, ah, oh, you know, he gets the girl or whatever. It, it ends with him being betrayed by the friend. The friend gets the girl and then he tries to win her back over fails and then he gets in his car and it drives home from a party and is crying and that's how the movie ends the movie ends on the most dramatic (laughs) note (laughs) and i was deeply not into the like i was like this movie is just missing for me also obviously it's like certainly got outdated depictions of treatment of women and stuff like that that sounds awful Um, but then when that happened i said to myself Maybe I totally missed what this movie was going for. Maybe I like it more. And then I, I had to look back at the plots of it. No, it totally missed. So I saw a couple of people online make arguments about what maybe what it was going for, but, but if it was what it was going for, it didn't the execution fully did not work. It needed to be a different tone in acts 1 through 2.8. <laughs> like
0: so, it doesn't even give this character, like, a qualifying, like, oh, he'll be okay. He's no, 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 day. no. Oh, no. my
1: God. I'm and so, not. somebody, somebody. I mean, it's just, like, a letterbox reviewer made, like, an a point, which I found astute, of, like, well, it's this kind of thing of, like, um, maybe it's going for, like, you know, they're treating um, the idea of, um, of relationships or of hooking up as, like, this kind of, like, meaningless thing, but then it's showing, like, the power and the destruction that something could have and, like, the actual weight of the idea of romance, what it means to people at a young age or something, which, like, maybe, but if that's the case, it's not doing a good job. Even if they're going for a misdirect, it's not... They didn't do it in a good way, you know? Um, And so I I think that would be a great thing to do for a movie. Whether or not they were doing it here, I don't know. They didn't. Um, But my God. It it also, by the way, so much more nudity than I expected in the movie.
0: I am not... Anti-downtrodden endings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but doesn't feel like that this is the genre where they really should be playing with stuff like that.
1: Yeah, sure. Also, I'm not even. it's not even that there's more nu- nudity than expected. There's... I don't know. There's there's a lot of... There's a lot of ex- kind of what I thought for the 80s were extensive sex scenes. Extensive mechanical sex scenes for the 80s.
0: Um. So... There is a sequence in the Wikipedia description that I want to ask you about. Okay. Uh, There is a, um, they're measuring erect sizes in the locker room or something like that. Okay. Oh, I do remember this scene. I don't know. It's just like that in response to their bullying, Victor asserts he has a larger penis than all of them. Prompting the boys to have a contest where they measure each other's erect penises to see whose is longest.
1: That's first of all, that's an insanely specific Wikipedia. Yeah. An
0: insanely I, un- clinical Wikipedia description. I, I, yes, I, I felt uncomfortable <laughs> reading it, but I didn't know how to get around. like um, it, the innuendos were too, too hard to get around. Um, hard to get around.
1: It was. <laughs> it, it was definitely one a, a scene that I did not expect. And a scene that
0: <laughs> I would be concerned. <laughs> yeah.
1: And a scene that um, I, I also not even say not for better or for worse, but is is uh, not what I expected of depictions of eighties masculinity of like let's look at each other naked or something. It didn't seem like a thing even now that would be in any movie really. Um, so, of a like, bunch of like lock, dudes in a locker room, the, do they? How do they? They have... don't show anything.
0: Okay, I see. All right.
1: Um, the I don't even think they're they're yeah they they don't show anything, and the other thing though is like that whole thing builds to a kind of joke that then totally breaks like it, it just doesn't make sense at all and it is it's cuz like they're talking about like a nerd or something like that right it the whole thing is weird and then in the end it turns out that the nerd had the longest and it it uh <laughs> and uh, but but then for the rest of the scene you're like why is why is this kid so timid <laughs> like it's so weird um,
0: so is Certainly. this a recommendation? I no, can't no, no, tell. no, not at all. It doesn't sound like it. Yeah,
1: it is. But there's something interesting about seeing because you have movies now that are comedies for the shock value, right? And it is interesting to see what a comedy for the shock value is then. Yeah, um, and it's oddly more shocking and and plainly gratuitous and and desperate to 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 be edgy than something I think of in more recent years or something like that, you know?
0: So it sounds like it's a movie of excess is a good way to describe it. Um, I'm just trying to do a transition. So did say yes. you say
1: excess or asses? Excess. No, I know you did, but it's both. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah, that works actually. Um, no, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, sure. It's a movie of excess and a movie of like... Yeah, it's just that thing. There's, you know, National Lampoon movies had a lot of the same thing. of like, well, we're gonna like... I don't know. It's not even edgy. It's just like we're... We're going to we're just going to dudes being dudes, yeah. Yeah, it's just like we're going to talk about sex on screen and that's and then, the movie, so you're going to come see it. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, cuz you, do, you don't already do that at home
1: with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's my I, impression of um, Mr. Lampoon.
0: I think up. I think there's a good chance that eventually we will get some kind of 80s coming of age comedy on the chain, so I will reiterate what I'm about to say when we get that. Um, but I think a lot of them are charming and sweet, but a lot of them are extremely dated because they're just not the way that we talk in movies anymore. And yeah, for better and for worse, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stereotyping and a lot of two dimensionality and sexism and that kind of talking, but there's also just like a charm to it too. It's like, they're not doing it maliciously. A lot of the time, it's just like, they're trying to make entertainment people. It's the extent of it. Um, I feel that way about like 16 candles and even to a lesser extent something like, I mean, not actually, not to a lesser extent. Animal House is another example of that, even though that's the 70s and same idea. Um, So you reviewed a movie from 1982. I'm going to jump a year ahead to 1983, a movie that more people have seen. Uh, And this is not meant to be offensive, but we're going to talk about Scarface now.
1: Okay. I'm glad that you mentioned. I'm glad that you apologized up front because I did find it when I heard that you watched this. I did find it offensive to watch it in light of. My Do you mistakes.
0: understand why? Because you have a scar on your face.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just making sure you got it. Oh. <laughs> Scarface. 1983. It's hard for me to
1: understand things anymore.
0: Uh, I saw this at a very cool experience um, that I would love if they sponsored us. So I'm going to talk about them. It's called the Rooftop Cinema Club. Oh,
1: is that where you saw it? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's an I would love for them to sponsor us too because last year I desperately tried to get tickets to something and couldn't.
0: Uh, This screening wasn't 100% packed, but it was a good crowd. Where was it? It's in Midtown. Um, Basically what you do is you watch the movie on a rooftop. The way that the building is designed it's nice because the sun, no matter where you are, what time of day, the sun never directly goes that way. Okay. So I was worried about glare. No glare problems whatsoever. I was worried about sound. They give you these headphones that are great. They completely cancel out all the noise around you. Oh,
1: you're wearing headphones. Okay.
0: Yeah. They don't project the, they project like the pre-show out of like speakers underneath the projector, but obviously they don't want to disturb the neighbors. So they give everybody their individual headphones and the headphones were great. Like okay. there was, there was probably construction down below. There were obviously people honking on the horns because it's New York City and Midtown. Couldn't really hear them. This guys shouting, "I'm walking here!" Yeah, I'm sure there was some something like that. You bum! Yeah, 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 a lot of those too. Couldn't hear any of that. Pretzels for sale. I was eating a pretzel actually. Got a beautiful pretzel with honey mustard.
1: What? <laughs> not of not from the vendor, effect, but no. yeah. Um, anyway.
0: Yeah, you probably find a New York City soundboard if you really looked for it. I'm sure. Um, I've never seen Scarface all the way through. Um, okay, yeah, I never saw it at all. I'm glad I got to see it in that format. I, I saw the movie with my girlfriend and she was discussing like the fact that it's a two hour and 55 minute long movie. And being in that scenario makes it way easier to pay attention, put the phone away, you know, what uh-huh. I mean? which sometimes when you're watching old movies at home on the couch, I try to avoid this as best as I can. But it's hard to sometimes like looking at your phone and try and then you get sucked into something on Twitter and it's right. five minutes and it goes by not a lot, not a lot of checking the phones when you're out. In public, because you don't want to disturb other people. Mm. Um, I will say one thing, another thing about the experience: uh, there was this asshole pigeon that just like would not go away, um, and I just think Those like pigeons need pigeons. pigeons need a reality check. Like, who do you think you are?
1: Those are the worst kinds of pigeons.
0: Yeah, they are very full of themselves. Is all I have to say. Like, right. you think you can just take crumbs from my plate?
1: I got I got a message for you, pigeons, messenger.
0: Ah, uh, yeah.
1: Carrier, Carrier pigeons. Carrier pigeon. They
0: did help us win the war. So.
1: Carrier Grant pigeon. I'll, I'll let's circle back. But so, how did the pigeon affect your viewing experience?
0: <laughs> Al Pacino is in Scarface. Which um, <laughs> sounds like pigeon. <laughs> the movie, obviously, I I don't have to go through the whole resume because I'm sure there were people that have, are listening to this that saw it well before I did. But he plays Tony Montana. Mm-hmm. It's uh. Who
1: plays his little friend? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you think they make that joke at uh, the uh, NRA rifle uh, (laughs) conventions every year? Obviously, his little friend is his uh, AK-47 slash rocket launcher or whatever he uses in the famous, 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 famous final scene of the movie that really epitomizes everything that Brian De Palma is going for, everything Oliver Stone is going for. Where they Uh, have a
1: little friend measuring contest. uh, Yeah,
0: we're we're done with the bit. Okay. (laughs) The movie was uh, the movie's a remake of a 1932 Italian gangster movie. Uh-huh. I don't know how any little. I didn't
1: realize it was an Italian gangster movie though. Okay, I thought it was
0: yeah the American char- film. No, it's it is it is. I'm saying like it's like a he's like a Capone figure. I mean. Oh,
1: but yeah. it wasn't produced by Italy.
0: No, okay, no, no, no. Um, and that might not even be true. My whatever. My my point. Hey, who cares? My point is they changed it to be an allegory about immigration in, from Cuba. It's a very
1: I see. Okay, I see.
0: It's a very coked up movie. It's a very over-the-top, ridiculous, a very generous reading of it would be that it's like a satire of how easy it is to grab, What again, what we were talking about last week, uh-huh. the American dream. The easiest path to that is just drugs, sex, and violence. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think the movie's all that interested in, in the satire part of it. It's just this crazy... Have you seen Scarface? No. It's a crazy, ridiculous soap opera. It's really over-the-top. Pacino is at a point in his career where he's kind of done with the Godfather movies at this point until he comes back for three, obviously. Um, and in those movies, he's obviously known for being chilling and, and somewhat subtle. And just Uh like his stoicism is what makes him scary. This is the complete opposite. He's doing like a really hammy accent, which uh, he worked a lot with Cuban dialect coaches and stuff like that. But it just sounds like a guy trying to do Cuban. Yeah. He's got, he's got the fake spray tan. He, he's just, he's at, at 13 for the entire movie. Interesting. And
1: that's what I was gonna ask. If it, so, there's not really like subtlety to, to the performance. No, I, think, I don't know if his
0: career has ever recovered. Is the wrong word because he has given a lot of great performances since then. He's never been Michael Corleone from Godfather One and Two again. I, okay. or, or yeah. even that's, Dog Day After That's I think Pacino. The,
1: I, the old early Pacino is like more than any other actor from that era. Like this, I don't know how to like the the subtlety oozes off screen if that makes sense you know like it is so clear what he's doing at such a small level or i mean it's so clear how how minutely talented how, how talented he is in the small ways it is. so it's surprising that then like something like scarface would yeah. happen because yeah i think of dog day and stuff like that
0: i just think but, i just think it it opened up a whole new era for him like even movies like uh that he like godfather part three he comes back and he he's not the same michael corleone anymore it's something even like the irishman which i think he's terrific in it's not it's it, it's a balance of really bombastic stuff and the quieter stuff, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Anyway, this movie I'm really glad I've seen it. It's very it's compulsively entertaining. I don't know if it's a great movie, but I every time I watch it from this point forward I'll have a great time watching it, you know. Right. There there are like a, a lot of really good actors in this. Uh F Murray Abraham is in this. Uh, Mark Margolis who just died who played a big part in Breaking Bad. He Mm -hmm. plays an important role. The movie is probably most well known in terms of breakout stars. It was one of Michelle Pfeiffer's first movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Her character could have used a second pass in the script like Oliver Stone was not interested Mm -hmm. in giving her a very interesting character. She kind of just goes along with what these dangerous men want at all times uh, as long as they give her a little bit of the white powder. Uh, Again, I think a movie, I think a Scarface remake today, which I'm not advocating they do it would have taken a little bit more care. With do you that see character.
1: why? Because um, you said it's a, a lot of it's a satire. Is it? Do you think it's seen as that by like mainstream audiences no. or no? Because I'm curious why it was a running thing. Like every guy on MTV Cribs is like, "This is my Scarface poster." No, so right. So
0: what is why it is, is precisely it a- what you said last week about the Wolf of Wall Street. It ha- it is probably the most Misunderstood. Misunderstood is not the right word, right. I think. I think it's the most misinterpreted movie Mis- Yeah. ever, one of them ever made. This
1: reminds me also, and I probably should have done a What Are we Watching on like, it? Like, I watched Fight Club for the first time, finally. Same thing. Um, and it, yeah, and I was like, oh, I see why every guy says this is his favorite movie, and they're also definitely not getting it.
0: <laughs> it's the same thing what we were saying about Wolf of Wall Street, where it's just like, it's a movie that glorifies. The idea of compulsive masculinity and compulsive violence, and resist not having to resist right. your urges, your most primal urges, but at the same time, that's such a surface level reading of it, and it's like a Trojan horse almost, where you can read it like that, sure, if you just watch like three movies a year, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. if you actually like are looking, like it's Oliver Stone is one of the most like politically driven like message controversial writers, directors out there. He made fucking platoon, you know. Right. He he made Born on the Fourth of July. He made all of these movies. Um and he's not making a movie glorifying this style. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Like that that's not that's not what's happening here. Yeah. But I under the movie is doesn't really stick the landing mm-hmm. in the satire part of it. So I understand more than I do with like Wolf of Wall Street or Taxi Driver or Fight Club how people misinterpret it. Mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah that's and i think i think it almost it almost works for you can get away with it for fight club because the not to go on a tangent but the idea is like so much of it is like these poor dudes don't know that what they're doing you yeah. know they're they're killing themselves to avoid talking about emotion right figuratively well not even like they're hurting themselves to talk about emotion and obviously people love it because it's like dude's fighting and like this is awesome but there is something it almost makes sense that like whether people who love the movie guys who love the movie and find it like to be a real guys flick whether they're leaving it unsaid, or whether they don't realize it um the thing that they're not saying they take away from it is the same thing that the movie does not like directly give you if that makes sense like you know, there's no lesson in the end where they're like, see, this is why you don't fight. More it's more of just like uh it's a satirical look at it, like the whole thing, you know, there's no way for me to explain this and and convey what I'm saying correctly.
0: I understand. I know, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I think in the in the case of Scarface, do you know how Scarface ends? No. Okay, then I'm gonna leave it. But you'd have to be really dumb to watch the end of Scarface and be like, oh well he everything turned out great for him. Right. You know? I for, fight club is a <laughs> Again, it's it's not, like, a happy ending, but, it, like, that's a, that at least puts that character in a little bit of a better place. Like, oh, he's in love. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. <laughs> Even yeah. though what he's looking at is <laughs> not great. Yeah, and then true. we talk about Wolf Wall Street, obviously, and how he kind of gets away completely. But, like, I, if you watch Scarface and you think, like, oh, yeah, that, that, that was great. I mean, the, I, I, I guess yeah. you say that the des- the journey is better than the destination in some yeah. ways. I mean, uh, it's li- like it's,
1: lit- it's good, fellas, too. It's the same.
0: yeah. Literally, yeah, um, yeah. Because just because they don't die, and just because Henry Hill doesn't die in Goodfellas, does not mean that that is a glamorous ending for him. It's actually no. like it's actually like the most tragic thing. The Irishman is the same way too.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously, like the I mean, people have talked about Goodfellas, but obviously, like the the joke of it is like he gets a normal life in the end, but that's his punishment is a normal middle class yeah. life, pretty much. Um, yeah. Oh man. Um, Okay, so Scarface is
0: um, good movie that I really enjoyed. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's like a masterpiece. You know right. what I
1: mean? Are you gonna watch the original too or no?
0: Maybe one day, not probably anytime soon. Um, but Scarface, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street—these are all sprawling epics in their own way. We're gonna talk about a different kind of sprawling epic now with Ragtime.
1: Yeah, one that makes you say why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Ragtime is a 1981 drama directed by Milos Forman, who is a Czechoslovakian-American director. He just passed away a few years ago. This movie was sandwiched in between two of the most influential movies of the second half of the 21st century. uh, Not 21st century, 20th century. Um, So, like I said, Ragtime came out in 1981. 1975, Forman makes One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a... Top thirty movie of all time for me. It, it is an incredible achievement of acting and writing and so on and so forth. That that's not a hot take. Right. Uh, sure. He won best director for that. This movie comes out. He's got a hair that came out as well, which of course was adapted into a musical. <laughs> or actually, it's based on the Broadway musical. It's not
1: a bit. I thought you were referencing that he went bald. Oh no. He said his hair came out. <laughs> oh.
0: No, he has. He I had, fell off a He had hair. <laughs> Ragtime is in between One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, which was another oh, Best Picture I winner, it was
1: Amadeus, okay.
0: which is a really great movie that I actually want to rewatch now because I haven't seen it in a little while. Mm-hmm. It is a really, really good movie that won Best Picture. He won Best Director for both of those movies I just mentioned. Ragtime got a lot of love at the Academy Awards as well. It did go. It looks like it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nominations. It went 0 for 8. Um, But this was a movie that was really liked at its time. It's based off of a historical novel by E. L. Doctorow that came out in 1975, as you alluded to. It is a an adaptation, Um, and as we talked about actually last week, remember I asked like, "Oh, it doesn't seem like uh, there's a lot of movies made yeah. now with the, yeah." This, this, it occurred to me that this, this is one too, right? With a short amount of time yes. in between book release and adaptation, they I mean they seem to purchase the rights and then flip them really fast in certain cases. This takes place at the turn of 20th century, so we're talking late 1890s, early 1900s, leading up to the start of World War I is when this movie takes place. Uh, the book, based on the reputation that I read about it, is very vignette-based. It follows a sprawling group of characters throughout this time period. Um, this movie starts that way for the first hour, if it's two and a half hours, and then very much narrows down into one specific story. The story of a man named Colehouse Walker Jr., played by Howard Rollins, who would end up being nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He is a ragtime uh, pianist who has a has a wife or, or a woman he loves that gave birth to a son of his. Um, it's complicated to explain. Basically, there's a tragedy that befalls him. Um, the the woman is taken in by a family, and the characters are only known as father played by james olsen mother played by mary steenbergen and younger brother played by brad dorf who has his own kind of love story with this woman evelyn played by elizabeth mcgovern whose husband arthur or harry shaw harry thaw right mm-hmm. Thaw played by robert joy Murder somebody because he disrespected her and so on and so forth. There's, a, Like I said, there's a lot happening in the first hour of this movie that's really hard for me to explain right now. Right. It eventually narrows down into Cole House Walker Jr.'s story of dealing with racism, dealing with vengeance um, after a tragedy befalls his family and him basically banding together and t- sticking it to the white man for the rest of the runtime. Mm-hmm. There's other... Characters in this too. A young Mandy Batinkin is in this as a as a Jewish uh, artist who eventually becomes a film director who eventually has a relationship with both Elizabeth McGovern and Mary Steenburgen's characters. Uh, there are very very early performances from Samuel Jackson in this. Uh, Jeff Daniels is in this for a brief amount of yeah. time. Uh, yeah, it's a movie that is very has a lot of depth in its characters it's cast it's production value it it's it, it is an epic in in every sense of the word
1: mm-hmm.
0: for me that doesn't necessarily always guarantee that it was a movie that i liked and i th- think you kind of agree based sure. on sure
1: well i mean i th- i think if I'm, if you're making an epic that it, you could certainly it's a big swing you can certainly it can certainly be a big mess um that's what this felt like uh i do and by the way i i um i mean i guess he also is known for other stuff but um Dora also was in um cuckoo's nest
0: as um billy Bibbit. i always see him as a uh, Grim warm tongue from two towers
1: oh see yeah i am um,
0: no, you don't i
1: don't <laughs> i i mean i know i saw that movie but i haven't really seen that movie <laughs> um i because we did it for the podcast I'm yeah. just bad at remembering stuff. Um, I, going into this, only. The only former movies I've seen are, are Cuckoo's Nest and Man on the Moon. And, you know, I love both of those. Um, but they, they certainly didn't give me any, like, uh, stylistic preparation or something for this. Um, or tonal preparation, I guess, is a better way to put it. Um, yeah, I thought as an like. What'd you say besides Cuckoo's Nest Sorry? Uh, Man on the Moon.
0: Oh. Okay. Um, have you seen? I have not, no. Uh you familiar? Yeah, uh, uh, Carrie yep. as Kaufman, right? Yeah,
1: as Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was great. Um, and uh, yeah, no, like you were saying, so this is an epic. Uh, I don't know if it's unfair of me to assume that epics should be more or that such wide-ranging, like, vast, both time-wise and and character-wise, stories should be more um, compelling, I guess. But I didn't feel compelled by this, and it felt like, why are we putting all these pieces together if 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 uh, if, you're, if you if you are not interested in compelling me more? I don't know if that is fair. But- I,
0: yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I it's kind of a redux of how I felt about Last Tycoon for me personally. I in that. It is an expensive looking movie that is ambitious and has isolated moments of brilliance. But as a whole, I just found it hard to really like draw upon anything that I found particularly interesting besides certain performances and certain moments. We didn't really talk about James Cagney either, which is the whole reason we're watching this. Uh-huh. Um, this movie mixes real life people and fictional characters mm-hmm. to again try to evoke like Harry Houdini has a role in this movie. Not a big one. Yeah. But and Cagney plays one of those real life people. He plays Ryan Lander Waldo, who was at, at a certain point the fire commissioner of the city of New York. Mm-hmm. And he has a role to play in opposing Colehouse Walker, but also being sympathetic to him in the face of the vile racism that he faces. Mm-hmm. It was the first movie Cagney had done in twenty years. So there is an appeal to that story and that setup. I just don't think the movie does enough interesting with what it wants to do.
1: The idea of merging fiction with true events. Uh, uh, historical fiction. I know it's a whole genre. But something about it in movies is, is something I've like been more interested in. I used to not like the idea of it. Now I really I'm coming around to it like I watched Summer of Sam and it basically is it's it's fictional characters using a real thing as a backdrop this is kind of like that I mean there's a lot of this that is true like so again I wasn't compelled by it but like the the it made me look up the thaw murdering Stanford White who was like a known architect and that all actually happened yeah and
0: that I want to see that as a movie at Madison Square Garden yeah, yeah. Back yeah. when it was, like, the, you yeah. know, not Madison Square Garden, obviously. That's the inciting incident in the movie. And it has ap- almost absolutely nothing to do with Cole House, I, which I, becomes the main focus of the movie. So, it's almost like...
1: Yeah. I guess it's a subjective thing, but, like, that's... I spent the movie being like, I want to know more about that.
0: So, <laughs> the original... The author of this movie, I think, pushed for it to be some kind of series... I think if this movie came out today, it would not be a movie. It would be an HBO miniseries where it would right. all take place under but the you're, guise you're, of this timeline. And maybe you're,
1: you're saying the author of the book,
0: Doctor O, wanted the movie to be? Correct. A series? Okay. Right. Um, and I think he was kind of right. Like, I think you could have made a good eight-episode series where you give a lot of time to that fall right, incident. Right. And there's connective tissue that eventually leads to the coal house stuff that you wanted to do. But Milos was very interested in this specific part of the story. And, you know, it's there's some good stuff there. I think Howard there, Rollins is really good in the role. There is. it, But it just feels like
1: it doesn't feel like a part of the story. It feels like other stories. You know, it almost feels more of like, here's a bunch of things that happened. All with these degrees of all with these characters, right? Um but then it really is focusing on one of those things and, and not the others. There's not like a balance to it.
0: Do you know what I mean? I think we both were looking for a little bit more of connective tissue. Yeah, that, that's... The the, the Mandy Patink- the Patinkin character, especially, he just... He's in the movie at the beginning. He has an interaction with Elizabeth McGovern. And then we don't see him again for like another 90 minutes. Um, and then he is like a major part of the story again because he has like this courtship with Mary Steenburgen's character who apparently has problems with her husband, and that wasn't really established or anything either. Everything just feels really rushed. And it feels, you said the book was
1: very vignette-based, right? It feels like a kind of in-between between a um, a normal, like a more traditional film and the kind of episodic drama that we talked about with... Um, a few other movies that we've watched and I don't even remember I guess there goes my baby is kind of episodic but um <laughs> uh what was uh
0: another epic
1: nostalgia is episodic right no oh boy kind yeah. of, um there was a recent one that I'm, it's for some reason slipping my mind that that we, watched
0: w- that that. we watch yeah uh 1941
1: uh yes 1941 also that yeah this felt like an in-between of of of, of that and car wash too is also episodic that's what I was thinking of. I don't love the idea of episodic stuff and this wasn't fully that, but it it, it was enough that, I don't know, it just kind of like, it took away from a lot of what I uh, uh, was investing in, I there,
0: guess. There was a way to do it where it felt more cohesive. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to feel episodic. Having a lot of character doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna end up being like that. A great example of it this in modern movie making, is Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh, I have not. It's all about the the drug war and part of it focuses on teens doing drugs. Part of it focuses on the Mexican cartel. Part of it focuses on the political sphere of it. and It all, like, one character overlaps here and one character overlaps there and it, it just all comes together really well. Not every character crosses over, but mm-hmm. every story feels like a bigger part of a whole. And that's what I wanted. You know what I mean? Right. I wanted a, I wanted a point because, like, obviously the Cole House part of the story is about racism at the time. It's just hard. It's hard for me to figure out what the what the other parts are supposed to be other than that, just reenactment of history. Yeah. Which is wh- whatever. Fine. Sure. I'm looking at the Oscar nominations this movie got. and I don't really disagree with any of them except for maybe one. What are they? So it's supporting actor Howard Rollins playing Cole House. Mm-hmm. Cool. Supporting actress Elizabeth McArthur, uh playing Evelyn, mm-hmm. who is the. Wife of Arthur Thaw. Thaw. Yep, I have no problem with that. Best Adapted Screenplay? I don't know what the other nominees were, but I mean, right. there is a lot to the screenplay. I don't know if I necessarily think it's a bad script. Best Art Direction? Sure. Best Cinematography? Sure. Best Costume Design? Sure. Randy Newman, of all people, did the score. Sure. How many of
1: these did it win? It went 0 for 8. 0 for 8.
0: Um, this was the year that um, Chariots of Fire won, and it beat Raiders of the Lost Ark. And a number of other movies that came out. Reds by Warren Beatty. On Golden Pond. Atlantic City. So,
1: do, do did you have thoughts on the newsreel conceit at the beginning and end of it?
0: Yeah. I, I, I've thought if they were going to do something like that, they should have continued it more.
1: Yeah, I thought it... I thought... I mean, I don't think I could bear it for the whole movie or something, but there is something about it where i'm like they should have committed to this more but they didn't it's two or three times at the beginning and then once at the end and also at the end i don't know if there's meaning to this or not but like the stuff that was in black and white at the beginning is now in color actually the end it's not shown as a newsreel now that i think it's the end yeah, they there's a Houdini, montage but show
0: doing thing
1: but it's not as a newsreel um There's no... It's mimicking, like, the old newsreels of, like, I guess, like, you know, before films and theaters and stuff when you'd see, like, headline and then the piece of silent film of what's going on or whatever. I didn't quite get what they were going for either because it it led into, like, you know, the plot. It would be, like, unrelated thing and then the plot. I mean, did... So...
0: I'm it's more a, willing to read this from my perspective as me missing something, as opposed to Last Tycoon, where I didn't feel like I missed something. It felt like the movie was missing something. So do that you, ma- does that make sense? Like yeah, it feels like it's a more yeah. of a me thing this time than it was. Do there. you think
1: there's meaning to like the Houdini stuff being there, or do you think its point is more in just being like, this is. One of the news stories that was going on, and you're going to watch a movie about it, and then just throwing those in as the other.
0: See, that's what I—I th- I just felt like it was supposed to be period context. Like, I don't know. That's what I mean. I, I can't tell. I can't tell what the point was. Of- I think it was just
1: context too. But I think if it was, I—I'm—I'm I'm really like uh, ambivalent on how I feel. Yeah, I'm—I'm—I don't know how I feel about it. I'm ambivalent on whether or not that works. I guess. I mean, I guess it works enough if I got that, but but, um. I don't know. It just could have felt like there, there it was more to be done there. It almost feels like a real unique stylistic choice in 3% of the movie. And then the rest is like, um, I, honestly, in ways it did remind me kind of of like, there goes my baby or something where it's like, again, it's like, oh, you're just kind of putting, you you kind of just want to, you're putting fictional or fictionalized stories against this period of history just to kind of like show what was uh, happening? Like it felt very History Channel in a way. I guess, like you said, or like History. And again, I don't um, have. I don't think that's re- reenactment. I don't think that's necessarily. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I don't just, know what makes it a bad. What makes some of them bad?
0: Well, I mean this this is ten <laughs> times the scale of. There goes my baby. There goes my baby. Sure. I was able to contain it?
1: And it's also a different. It's it's about
0: it being more uh, about actually fictional people. It mm-hmm. it is um. Bigger risk, bigger reward, but also bigger failure a lot of the time with this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, and the, the one other thing is this so, something about this, I think there's maybe it's just me thinking in terms of period stuff, but, um, and also kind of its use of like newsreel as a gimmick um, and similar things that Scorsese did. It reminds me in some ways of The Aviator, but. But I think the Aviator worked so 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 much better than this. Yes. But
0: I think there is there's something because the Aviator at its at its core is a character piece. It mm-hmm. is about Howard Hughes it alone. There's there we don't have to worry about other protagonists. Right. Right. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's it's getting yeah. So, so that's true. So so much of what you're investing is is coming from Matt. It's like, coming from.
0: If the movie was about Colehouse Walker the entire time, I think it would have worked better. Mm-hmm. But it pretends to be about Brad Dorff's character, pretends to be
1: about Elizabeth
0: McGovern's character for a little bit. It pretends to be about James Olsen for a little bit, and it pretends to be about Cagney for a little bit. So you can't just keep handing off the protagonist like this in this specific narrative.
1: What that did for the, the issue that creates for me, or where I started to realize that, oh, I wasn't following the right thread or it wasn't unspooling the right thread is... Then you have the whole climactic scene with, with um, you know, like, Cole House and like, and, like, the standoff and everything, right? Yeah. And as I'm watching the scene and I'm realizing this is the the big climax scene, I'm also, I was also saying, I didn't expect, I didn't know that, like, why, why is this the climax scene? I thought the movie is also about this guy, but he's not a part of this. Do you, do you know what I mean? There, I, I think it just shows, like, how much... Uh, the focus was off as as far as on characters when you get to the climax and you don't not that I don't understand why it shouldn't have been the climax obviously it's a very heavy and important scene but it's the culmination
0: of most of our characters but not all yeah of them. yeah
1: yeah and I'm like so why it, it's it's like getting to a place and then being like why did you take me the way that we you know why did we take these roads to get here you know what I mean um, this is not really where I thought the ride was going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but but it's important to note that like just because it doesn't go in the direction we want doesn't mean we're penalizing it for that. We just don't like what it ended up. No. You yeah. I, mean? it, I, I, it's I think not, it's you were talking about expectations earlier. Yeah. Based on the other movies of his that you've seen and just because your expectations weren't met in that regard does not mean that you all, were automatically going to dislike it and I agree with the same. I agree. No, with that yeah. Too.
1: It's I don't have a problem with um, with the end result, but it but it highlights weaknesses in the setup.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm very very mixed on this. I would say I'm mixed. If I was mixed negative on last tycoon, I'm mixed positive on this. Hmm. Oh, okay. i I think the macro conversation we're having right now is very important. Um, but I think I do think there were also. Like a lot of there, there was a lot of stuff I did like. I don't know. It's really tough.
1: I'm I, opposite.
0: Honestly, I'm opposite And actually, I'm looking at my the way I ranked it on my Cinema Chain Gang tier, and I actually I actually put Last Tycoon above, so maybe I feel maybe I should take that back then.
1: I I have this, this as this like This tells
0: you this is all this is all bullshit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have this at like two and a half uh, uh, at two and a half, and and um, that puts it in line with. Uh, Gr- <laughs> Grimsby unthinkable and Palo Alto. And I when I did this and I looked at like well what does that put this in line with? I realized in retrospect and this is not the this is not the venue for me to fight this fight but in retrospect I would bring I would bring my rating for Palo Alto up a little bit higher.
0: <laughs> but uh Palo Alto is a weird one for me because I don't really think about it that much. No. Uh yeah. it was one of the rare movies that Is we- there anyone that does? <laughs> it was it was the rare movie that we reviewed remotely. Like, we we haven't, done, we? That. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember I was in my kitchen to review that one. Um, so maybe it's just, like, a review that doesn't stand out to me. But I remember we talked about James Franco, like, way more than I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, I don't know. I just don't think about that one that much. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so that's... Yeah, that's where I'm at with... I will say, again, my... Obviously, everything... That when I rate movies for this, it's always like solidly subjective, but this is a real sometimes the ratings are heavily subjective and 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 this is one of those. Like uh it Look, also my bike accident did not put me in the right frame of mind to watch <laughs> either of these movies. I forgot to mention it last week, but to catch a thief, I literally tried to watch four times. Not and it had nothing to do with the quality. The first time I was like into it, but it was on the background. I wasn't paying attention enough. Then the second time, I watched like 50 minutes of it, but was like, I'm fading. I got to go back later. And then I failed to watch it two more times because I fell asleep because I hadn't gotten enough
0: sleep. To to be clear to our listeners, you do not have a concussion. No, but um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Jerry's out medically i don't I, but. <laughs> you, have, uh, you have a
0: ever an everlasting concussion. An everlasting concussion um no it was just a stressful week i i had to take a break during ragtime. yes and i too. did not fall off any bikes so i don't know if it was oh, necessarily okay. a you thing
1: no that, that's i think milos was going for that he was going for a fall off a bike kind of feel for this
0: movie <laughs> yeah. again disrespecting the dead here listen to my gang
1: podcast uh, any um, other
0: thoughts on this movie
1: so, not quite thoughts on the movie, but I do just want to point out um, at a few different points in this conversation, um, which I already took off track. Um, I purposely didn't make jokes so that we wouldn't go further off track. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm this, curious. You
0: know what? We, should, we should make this a, yeah, uh, a I, corner of the episode. I
1: think maybe we should.
0: It makes it I, easier for other people to skip it. <laughs>
1: And I do just want to know... I won't make the jokes, but I want to know if they would have been worth saying. Okay. Um, I, these are loose. I didn't even finish thinking through how I would deliver it's it. It's funny because you
0: know? I, I, look, I look over and I think you're writing notes about your, your points yeah, about Yeah, no, that, I mean... The turn of the century and what do <laughs> you think about that? But um,
1: No, I mean, at one point I was looking at the list of Milos movies and and what Billy Bibbit's name was, but <laughs> um, I couldn't figure out if it was Bibbit or Bibbins. Um, or Bilbo Baggins. Um, nope. Nope. That wasn't one, but I would have yeah, put it. Okay, yeah. so uh, Milos Forman uh, related to Eric and Red Forman. Would that have been something worth saying or no? Uh,
0: I def- define worth saying.
1: Okay, no, so that's enough. no. No, that's a no. no. Um, you talked about the movie Traffic, right? There wouldn't have been traffic without a crash.
0: That's pretty good. Good. Okay, that's good. Because that's pretty good. Because crash and crash is another example. I get them confused. Yeah. Okay. Crash is not cool. good though.
1: And that I do have one. Is. I do have one other one. Um, F Murray Abraham. Do you know what the F stands for? It stands for Farah Murray Abraham. What do you think about that? That's pretty good. Okay.
0: Yeah. Let's but go not good to, enough that I should have. Yeah. No. Let's go back to the traffic and crash one, because I, okay. I I understand why you got it mixed up because they both have Don Cheadle in them.
1: Oh, is that what it is? I just picture like the DVD covers for both, and I feel like they're.
0: Yeah, traffic's DVD cover is like actually not I think it's just yellow it, and oh, a green hue.
1: I think it's just
0: because they're, they're both about both the same. Auto related. Crash is about how racism's bad, basically. And, and which it. one
1: is Schrader? Hmm? Which one did Paul Schrader do?
0: Uh, neither, I don't think.
1: Oh, but then why would you bring up traffic?
0: Because we were talking about sprawling epics with different characters that have oh crossover.
1: Okay, I think so, you were
0: writing the joke down as I, as I was explaining this to you.
1: <laughs> I might have been. Okay, so...
0: Would you like to make a new chain?
1: Two for three of my, of my jokes. Yeah, sure.
0: So we have reached the end of this chain, which saw Grace Kelly and James Cagney involved. Wow, two legendary actors. This actress has a lot to live up to, whoever it is. So we're going from James Cagney to an actress that I have on my screen. I have 10 actresses on my screen. Nick, give me a number between one and 10. Eight. We are going... This is this is a, this is gonna be whiplash. We are going from James Cagney to Mandy Moore, <laughs> <laughs> the Grace Kelly that, of her time. That yeah, that is gonna be oh. whatever. The first movie we get is gonna be like some classic movie from the '40s, and then we're gonna get like fucking Walk to Remember or something. I know it. I know this doesn't make any sense factually,
1: but there's a 50-50 shot grown ups is on here somehow. So we're going back. We're going back to modern
0: <laughs> days. We we had our. We had our classic boy summer here. So we're going from James Cagney
1: to Mandy Moore. Yes. When have you ever heard that before?
0: (laughs) The Grace Kelly of her time, as you said. Uh,
1: Forgive me as I, um, once again, I have to skip anything that gives me the night of 100 stars. It's on there again? It's so on there. I mean, we're going to have to watch it at some point just as a bonus episode. Maybe that's our Christmas episode. Yeah, it's the night of 100 stars. James Cagney to Mandy Moore, separated by one actor again, two movies. Uh, Peter Gallagher being the actor, Peter Gallagher of um, uh, OC fame, I suppose you can say.
0: Yeah, Um, I think of him as Mr. Deeds, but...
1: (laughs) Oh, he's in Mr. Deeds? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, right? I think. Um, American Beauty. Am I I thinking of the wrong Peter Gallagher? Uh, No, he's in Mr. Deeds. Um, He's like the main villain. James Cagney Peter Gallagher were in a 1984 film called Terrible Joe Moran... It, is, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a TV movie. Do we do those? Yeah. We, okay. Against
0: the Wall was a TV movie.
1: Okay. Um,
0: Born to Ride might have been too. All right. Ellen Barkin, Art Carney. Um, Peter Gallagher, like you said. Yes.
1: Terrible Joe Moran, a wheelchair-bound former boxer, deals with his long estranged granddaughter, whom is seeking financial help for her writing career and helping again. her lose her boyfriend get out of debt with the local mob. Once again, James Cagney. Old James Cagney. Old James Cagney again. And... <laughs> Old James Cagney really screwed this up and brought us back to, well, I guess, and uh, Peter he, Ga- he
0: had a chance to be a hero and give us <laughs> all these old movies. And-
1: uh, Peter Gallagher and Mandy Moore were in the 2003 dramcom, I'm going to call it. No, that doesn't make sense. No, it does. rom dramedy. How to Deal. Oh, never heard of it. Haley is convinced true love doesn't
0: exist based on the crazy relationships around her. Oh, this looks like a winner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sweet. The site consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. Soap opera for teens. That's all it (laughs) says.
1: What was the first one called again? Um, me- the first one is
0: called Terrible Joe Moran. All right, so that's what we're reviewing next time. Here family on the Cinema name Chain by the gang way. Podcast. Who's Who the link name? in the middle? Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher. Okay, that's a guy. That's an actor. or something to talk about. Unfortunately, uh, no disrespect to James Alderson, but <laughs> Vice President James Alderson. Sorry. Yeah. Oh God. All right. So how to deal will be our fiftieth movie on the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. Oh wow! So how to deal with that. <laughs> what an exciting one to get to. Thanks for joining us as always, folks. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Jose. The chain continues. Rip a pulley, rip Ray, rip